Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, good morning, listeners. Good morning, Matt. Uh, we embark on a brand new series through our Thrive. We do. Uh, today, we are launching into the book of Ezekiel, and then ultimately later in the edition, we'll move into the book of Daniel. And yeah. uh, this actually transitions really nicely from where we've been in Jeremiah. The story kind of continues. Uh, it does. And although this is quite different to what we've read in Jeremiah, at the start of the book of Ezekiel, it can feel a bit like we're back going over the same ground again, but there's some really... As, as you will share with us, I'm sure, some really unique things about the Oh, book it's of very different. Yeah, it's, and, it's um, quite spectacularly. Uh, there, there, there's something yeah. spectacular now that we, that we move into. So, yeah, just in case you're thinking, oh, man, not more prophetic oracles. Yep. Yep. I just can't. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not. It's, I mean, there are some prophetic oracles here, but, but here we move into the realm of some really grand visions. Yep. And it's quite... Uh, stunning, actually, yeah. and particularly, you know, as, as I say, as we get into the second half of this again, looking at Daniel and and some of the the things that we'll read there, just yeah. amazing. Anyway, just a bit of historical context for our listeners, Matt. Ezekiel was a priest, and he was he was part of the first wave of Jewish exiles that were mm. taken before the city was overrun. Uh, so this was probably five ninety seven. Yeah, and at this point in time, he's with exiles that have been taken to Babylon. His prophecies were primarily directed to the exiles mm. that were in yep. Babylon uh, because they were, I guess, holding out hope that either the Egyptians or someone was still going to save them in, in yep. Jerusalem or the remnant that was left in Jerusalem at that point in time. But of course, as we know, the nation of Judah rebelled against the Babylonians again. They came back and laid siege on the city. And so uh, as we begin in Ezekiel, he's, he's actually mm. communicating this message to the exiles as a priest, uh, Ezekiel probably had a fairly strong focus on the temple, you know, and mm. temple worship, and I yep. think that we'll read a bit about that as we go into chapter one anyway. But as we read through these prophecies, many of them contain visions, symbolic actions, allegories to communicate a message that God wanted to communicate mm. to his people. And although he did prophesy about the eventual ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, the exile of the remnant of Judah to Babylon, he also did ultimately also prophesy about mm. the eventual rest restoration and we'll come to that later and yeah in the, the wonderful uh, wonderful prophecies of restoration yeah. actually the uh, the book sort of sits in two halves because um, uh, the the first well more a bit more than half like chapters you know one to 32 and 33 are um, all set in that period leading up yes. to the destruction of Jerusalem back back home so they're yep. in exile in Babylon, yep. um, in Babylon and these prophecies begin when um, Ezekiel and the exiles have been there for about five years. All you know, th there's you know, 32 chapters here of material that all takes place in the letter, preempting something that I think for them was going to really shake their their world when right. they hear about the because, as you said, they're still holding out hope there's going to be some form of political deliverance, uh, like military deliverance from Egypt or whatever, and Babylon's going to fall and they're going to be they're going to go home. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's not going to be the case, and so yeah, we have these we have these visions. Now it's interesting. Think about from Ezekiel's point of view. You know, he went into exile when he was twenty four, twenty five. His whole life 
he had been anticipating, preparing for this role as a priest. priest. And now he's taken to the other end of the earth. This is a long way away, hundreds of kilometers uh, away from Jerusalem. And the temple. And the temple. Mm. And now he's turning 30. Yes. Now, this would have been the age when he would have been inducted into the priesthood, ordained his, mm. into the priesthood and begin his service. Interestingly... Right at the end of the book is when uh, you know Ezekiel is actually 50 years old because it's the 25th year of the exile. So the period for a priest to serve was between the age of 30 and 50. Right. So the prophecies of the book of Ezekiel take place within that period. So that's right. the period of his ministry. So, yeah. so the ministry of Ezekiel very much follows those parameters of his priestly ministry. So God gives yeah. him yeah. a priestly ministry here. And uh, but it's really a prophetic ministry, mm. and it's a very unique kind of prophetic ministry. Here we move into something that we would describe as apocalyptic. Now there have been elements of this previously in the prophets, but this really ramps up now. So yeah. Ezekiel, and this is what's different, and and I think really fresh now for our readers too, because again I'm <laughs> anticipating, you know, this sense of oh man, more prophetic oracles. Actually, this is there's some really unique stuff here, and some stunning prophecies of yeah. hope. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know this. Uh, there's a lot here in uh, the book of Ezekiel that really anticipates so hang in the there. new covenant. Yeah, hang in there and, and do read this book. So it's interesting because he says right in verse 1, the heavens were opened. So he says it was in my 30th year and I was among the uh, exiles. So they were put into a settlement. They were resettled in a particular area. They were sort of between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. There's a sort yeah. of a space in between there. Yeah. And uh, that's where most of the Jewish settlements from the exiles yeah. were, were put. Yeah. And he says, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So previously, say with Jeremiah and Isaiah, you have this statement, you know, the word of the Lord came to me and such and such. And, and God says, and he, they, you know, you know, write, write that down, down and yep. pass it on. Uh, but here he's actually receiving a vision. The heavens were open. So, so this is, you know, the, the, you know, the Greek word apocalypse is, is this revealing, this opening up of the heavens. And, yeah. and so this is what, you know, the book of Revelation is the same thing. You get this opening up of the heavens and, uh, and these visions given. So this is, this is something really unique. So this is apocalyptic now. These are apocalyptic uh, prophecies. And, uh, and then he's, he sees this incredible uh, vision of, well, it, it's, it's a vision uh, of the glory of God. I mean, it says right at the end of chapter one, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord's put free yeah. <laughs> cautiously, but it's yeah. quite magnificent. Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, you were saying this just before that you looked up uh, various uh, artistic, artistic kind of depictions, depictions of this vision. Yeah. It's very difficult, oh, I think, because you. you've got yeah. wheels intersecting wheels. Yeah. Uh, you've got these um, creatures. Yeah. You've got these creatures. Uh, cherubim. Yep. And uh, it's it can be very confusing to read for yeah. us. Yes, but for uh, Ezekiel, particularly in the context of the culture the of time. the culture at the time, and even uh, the surrounding nations, not just yeah, that's right, Judean culture, yeah. Israeli culture. There is some recognizable symbols, symbols here. Now yeah. remember, you know, this is at a time and a place where people. Uh, lived in a world full of symbols. The symbolic symbolism was really a part of that world, yeah. uh, and not you know, not so much. Well, it is actually a part of our world that we, we just don't recognise how much a part of it is. Uh, it is, but very much the case uh, with them. So, the vision is dominated by these four creatures. Mm. You know, four creatures, four faces, four wings. Uh, four is, you know, for the four. 
you know, they would speak of the four corners of the earth, yes, you know, yeah. and there's these composite creatures, sort of humanoid bodies with multiple faces and mm. animal heads and mul- multiple wings. You think, man, what's going on? Four faces, <laughs> four. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. But the, the, uh, you get these composite figures. Uh, they would have seen them certainly in Babylon. Uh, yes. Uh, yep. The idea of uh, composite figures. And there, there are there is a symbolism surrounding that. So, um, so for example, the lion... Uh, was renowned for its strength. So um, th- these are creatures that that depict, uh, in a way, characteristics. Various or? characteristics. That's yep. right. Various divine characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, strength and courage. You know, ferocity. It's, it was a, this line was a symbol of royalty. Uh, you know, the eagle. It, it was the swiftest, most stately of the birds. Yep. Uh, the ox uh, was. Really, yes, uh, strength, but also fertility and, and associated okay. with, with divinity as well. And then right. the human being is as the most dignified and noble as all. And so you get this sense of all creation being represented in these in these creatures, and all un- the elements of creation. And under the authority of God. Yeah, that's well. right. Yep. Yeah. So these images really express the transcendent divine attributes of omnipotence and omniscience mm. and mm. you know the eagle soaring above the earth and sort of the seeing everything and the the strength of the you know the ox and the the um uh, stateliness or royalty of the lion and the the you know wisdom of of man so all, all of these sorts of things are combined they 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 were common symbols that depicted various characteristics. You yeah, know, in in yeah. the in the absence of sort of abstract philosophical tools, uh, this culture used these sorts of symbols. Okay, so you know, you've got you know, it's covered in eyes. You know, the all seeing. This is moving. You've got the presence of fire and lightning. You know, yeah. back and forth. And this is like it's essentially this is like a a mobile chariot throne in a sense. Yeah, which was pretty. You know, at the at the time, the belief was that God inhabited the temple, and so yeah, they right. were away from the temple. Yeah. So the concept of God actually even potentially being away from the temple. Was, yeah, that's right. Mobility was. Like, yeah, that's right. And that's that's I think the really key point here because yeah. here is Ezekiel in exile, wondering, like thinking we, we are, as a priest, I'm so far away from so the far away. Yeah, where God's presence is. And yet he has a vision now of God's presence right with him. that is actually more spectacular than anything that has been yeah. seen yeah. so far, really, mm. uh, in, in, in biblical history. I mean, this is absolutely stunning. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that Daniel's going to see some pretty magnificent uh, visions. visions as well. Mm. And this all happens in the darkness of exile. So, so God is not a static God that belongs to one. This is, you know, really the upshot of this. God is not a static God that is just uh, seated in the temple. Uh, but here you get this, th- and again, the temple was seen as the throne, or the, you know, the footstool yes. at least yeah. of uh, of God's presence. But here you see this mo, this divine, you know, chariot throne yes. uh, in this magnificent vision, and so this is important because he's uh, he's connecting with God now in exile, yeah. uh, in this sense. Yeah. But there there is this sense of judgment. We're going to see, you know, we're going to see this in the chapters to follow. God is poised. Uh, both with judgment and redemption is going to be yeah. the sense of judgment and redemption uh, in this. So, 
It's still weird, though, Stu. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, you hear, yeah, I do a bit of research about this. Oh, it must have been a UFO or, you know, there's so many different Oh, yeah, kind of, yeah, I know. People, yeah. Oh, man, Don't, people coming up with these theories and yeah. it's like, and it was interesting because I did a bit of a bit of reading around sort of apocalyptic, um, other traditions of apocalyptic visions and they, they are very similar symbols that yeah. were very culturally um, yeah. Uh, common in, in in amongst the nations at that point in time. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and then you've got people that say, "Oh, maybe Ezekiel's having some psychotic episode." Yes, yeah, you know, that's right, yeah. <laughs> mental illness. Yeah, or whatever. It might no, be. Um, no. He's, this is he's very much in his right mind, mm. and you know, this is the timeliness of this is just uh, yeah. is just wonderful. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of interesting things here that. I think it's worth noting, and is the the, the presence of the Holy Spirit now yes, is totally. is something really unique, more than ever before. Now we've yeah. we've we've seen the presence of the Holy Spirit, but now the activity of the Spirit, and and I I've gone through in my on my Bible app here, and you know I've highlighted wherever the Spirit. And it's just littered through it from here on. Yeah, and then the and the enabling of the spirit. So he falls to, and we haven't got to all of these places yet. But he yeah. falls to his knees. But the spirit then lifted me up. Yeah, you that's know, right. The enabling of the, the enabling yeah. of the Holy Spirit to to lift him. Yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. So you know, so it talks about these creatures. You know, it says in verse twelve, wherever the spirit would go, they would go. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the the spirit of God is is on on the move here. Uh, and the spirit of God is with the exiles. This is the this is the key thing here. The spirit of God is with you. Uh, you you've you're not being alienated from from yeah. God. Uh, and it repeats that in verse twenty again. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. So and as we move into chapter two, uh, as you said, Stuart says at the beginning, he said to me, "Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you." So he's fall he's fallen down, and it's very much like uh, John again. The yes. um, vision of John in uh, the book of Revelation, Revelation. Yep. and he's fallen over, and the Spirit of God, and this is interesting, Stu, that the Spirit, that God commands him to stand on his feet, but then it says in verse 2, as he spoke, that is as God spoke, that command, the Spirit came and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Yeah. Now, does that remind you of anything else that perhaps is going to come later in the book of Ezekiel? Dry bones. Yep, the Valley of Dry Bones, right? Mm. So this is um, in the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, God says to Ezekiel, "Prophesy to the dry bones, and command them to stand, you know, to yeah. stand up and become a mighty army." Mm. So this, you know, preempts where where this is going. And the Spirit of God, you know, the ruach, which the, the mm. Hebrew word ruach is for wind or spirit or uh, and so forth. So this is wonderful stuff because yeah. you know. Preempts this these wonderful prophecies in chapter thirty six and chapter thirty seven about the uh, the spirit activity so, enabling yeah. power of the spirit yeah. yeah. Now, really, these first few chapters. He then uh, uses just before you move yeah. on. He then uses the term "son of man," which I thought mm. was interesting, and it's I guess it's a term that's really just trying to emphasize yep. Ezekiel's humanity here, yep. um, and and his I guess his humility before God as well. But you know, interesting term to use right yep. at that point in time, "son of man." I yeah. don't know. Is there anything more specific to that? Yeah, it's in in the light of a very divine vision. He is encountering his his humanity and his true humanity in in relation to yeah. uh, to the divine presence of God. So it's something that's I mean, it's interesting that this is the way that Jesus, of course, exactly. referred that's, to yeah, referred to himself. Yeah. There's also this representative sense, you know, the Son of Man. Uh, so it's uh, you know the the Hebrew word man is uh, Adam. It, yeah. It's this because Adam represented the, the the whole human race, and so yeah. 
you know, there's this representative sense for Ezekiel. And same with Jesus, son of man. He, he is the second Adam. He's mm. the son of Adam and the, that representative human. And so, you know, I think there's yeah, I think there's that element as well. And, and we'll see in Daniel talks about one like the son of man who, who um, was given all glory and honor and sovereign power and so this, so these first four chapters are really the call of Ezekiel, and mm. we've had call stories before, quite yep. spectacular ones. Yep. Um, Isaiah, of course, uh, sees God, and you know this vision of of the glory of God, and this the train of his robe filled the temple, yep. and yep. Uh, you know he sees these divine beings as well, and so forth. Uh, but this is spectacular. I mean, mm. the call, you know, um, I think if it was a competition, I think Ezekiel wins, yeah, yeah, think wins the, uh, the, the calling, um, experiences, uh, because this goes for a few chapters and he, this is really spectacular. And he says, you know, I'm sending you to an obstinate nation. I want to, you, you speak to them, even though they don't listen. Yeah. Uh, you need to speak, uh, mm. to them. And something, there's a really interesting moment here where he says, in verse 8 of chapter 2, but you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, remember, up to this point, one of the big problems had been that the people weren't listening to God. That they, in a sense, they were just offended by the prophets like Jeremiah, just yeah. seemed to be saying bad things about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't really listen. So, Ezekiel, as the son of man, the representative of Israel in this situation, is being called to actually now open his mouth and eat, as it were, God's word, to, yes. um, to consume uh, God's, to imbibe God's word. And so it says here in verse 9, uh, Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. Uh, in it was a scroll. Now, interesting, you know, again, parallels to the book of Revelation here. Mm. Uh, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written, and this is interesting, Stu, words of lament and mourning and woe. So this is God's, God's grief. grief really yeah. over his people. Yeah. And this is th- these are the words of the prophets so far, God lamenting over his people. Okay, so that's what's written all over the scroll. Mm-hmm. Then in verse three, verse chapter three, verse one, one. Uh, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak. To the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey mm. in my mouth. This is the, uh, to me, this is remarkable at the start here because here is this scroll of grief and yet when he eats it, it's sweet as honey because. The word, God's word to them, if only they will receive it, is also their salvation. Yes. You yeah. know, it, it, you, we can receive a hard word from God that reveals the worst in us, but that act of God is not an act of condemnation. It's actually an act of salvation. Mm. And this is the interesting thing here that they were resisting hearing this because they didn't want to feel condemned, but actually the reception of this hard word about God's grief over them, his indictment of all of their offenses, yeah. that that word was actually their salvation. Yeah. And and by resisting that, they were also resisting the salvation of God. That is so sweet, you know, and this is one of my favorite moments yeah. uh, in this book yeah. is this uh, is this Do you think moment. also it was in a symbolic way for Ezekiel to actually feel himself the grief 
of God in the moment because he was going to have to go out and keep communicating these messages that no one's going to listen to. And yeah. it probably would have been easy to really kind of, without recognizing this is really my word. And as you say, it is their salvation. You need to keep saying it, whether they yeah. listen and obey or not. You just need to keep That's right. saying yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, and God says that in, he goes on to say yes. in, yeah. In chapter three, you know, I, I'm I'm sending you to a people not not of foreign tongue, but of, yeah. of your own speech. And yet, you know, probably even he's, you know, he says even people of a foreign tongue probably would have paid more, will, mm. will pay more heed mm. than these. Which people. is a, a, a reminded me of when I read that straight away of Jesus talking about, you know, the prophet in his own town. Yeah, you know, and yet I can go out here and they'll listen to. Yeah, me that's kind of right. Thing. And it is, you know, later in chapter three, you know, we keep hearing, you know, then. Verse twelve. Then the spirit lifted me up, and so the spirit is is moving now. Whether uh, in what sense it means that, you know, I, I think he the spirit is seems to be at times lifting him up to a different place, or lifting him up into a different state of mind, or yeah. a different uh, sort of dimension of experience. Or yeah, it's it keeps uh, the spirit then lifted me up and took me away. Mm. There is this element though. Stewart, because he says, I went in bitterness in verse 14. I went in bitterness in the yeah. anger of my spirit yeah. with the strong hand of the Lord is upon me. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to exactly know why, but there, there is this sense because he in, a, he, in a sense, has been anointed by God's spirit. He is, he is feeling uh, the grief and the bitterness. You know, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's experiencing something of God God's, here, I yeah. think. Uh, about about his own people, and so you know he's really in this. He's he's embodying, in a sense, the heart of God in one sense. But you know, but it's been suggested also maybe this is also his response to his calling, like what you're sending. <laughs> yeah, there, it's it's this sort of extreme reluctance. Couldn't to I have a calling. slightly better job than that? Yeah, one? yeah, exactly. And so it may be a little bit of that. You know, a little bit of both uh, yeah, there as well, and maybe. The latter, because there seems to be some issue here with him even really wanting to do this. And, you know, God says to, from verse 16, there's this um, this watchman passage yes. where, you know, where God says to Ezekiel, listen, you're a watchman and you need to say this to these people, right? Because, uh, and he uses the example, you know, if, uh, if a watchman knows that uh, a foe is coming to destroy a city and doesn't say anything, uh, then the the blood of the people in the city is on uh, yeah. is on his head. But if he does warn them and they don't pay any heed, then th- th- their blood is on their own head. You it's know? called watchman's duty, I think. Is yeah, yeah, watchman's duty. So he says you need to, and this is the extension of this point. You need to make sure that you you say as as reluctant as he probably is. So there's probably an element of reluctance uh, here. Uh, and why why wouldn't you be reluctant? Yeah, with totally. All that we know about about prophets and the prophetic ministry and what you know people like you know like Isaiah and Jeremiah yeah. went through. Uh, yeah. It's no wonder he's reluctant. Oh man, I don't want to be one of these guys. You know, he he would be well aware of what Jeremiah went through. So you know, this is God saying, no, you have a responsibility now. You are the watchman on the wall, and you need to warn them uh, of uh, of the judgment. And what God's coming. saying is, I'm going to hold you accountable to deliver the message, but not for the response. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Which is, you know, true of us today in our in our current. Yeah, our job is to communicate the good news of Christ, but it's not our job to make yeah. someone accept yeah. that good news. You know. Well, I. I, I, th- that's true. I think I, I'd probably sound a note of caution in the application okay. of this good? passage to that. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. uh, because again, it can, we can take this as a bit of a like, we'll just throw the gospel in people's faces and sort of run away. Yeah. And I know that's not what you're suggesting. And also, I mean, I can remember this being 
preached on actually and you know you need to go out and tell everyone because otherwise their blood is on your head and i and i can remember for years like sharing my faith out out of it with a sense of terror. Right, Otherwise, okay. their blood is on my head, and, right. and I just yep. okay. No, that's you know, good point. This, no, it's good. I point. think it's important to recognize this is part of Ezekiel's call, and he's yes. a prophet in a very unique sense. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some sense of responsibility for mission, mm. but we got to remember too that God is the one that sets up the moments and the mm. times. And yeah, the, totally. You know, and so, so let's I guess make, it's about being obedient, <clears throat> not measuring success. Yeah, that's right. It's just whatever God tells you to do, do that. It's yeah. up to God to decide what success yeah, looks right. like in a sense. Yeah. yeah. The, an interesting feature of this, uh, Stu, is is the way that it now, uh, in this Watchman passage in the second half of chapter three. The way that it focuses on individual responsibility now. See, up to this point, there's been this corporate sense of corporate consequences. Yeah. But see, he's speaking to the to the exiles. Yes. See, they've already Left. borne the cor- the mm. corporate consequences. Now it's actually about how they individually respond uh, to God. So n- notice verse eighteen of chapter three. When I say to a wicked person, uh, you will surely die, and you mm. do not warn them or speak out or dissuade them from their evil way, you know. Yep. So, so it's very much about the individual and the individual's response. Uh, previously, a lot of prophecies about the nation, a call to corporate Collective. repentance. Right. Yep. This is now, uh, you know, and, and we, we, we see this in a later passage again, this sense of, this sense of corporate uh, responsibility. So uh, it's an interesting, you know, interesting feature. But I think it's also, and, and this is the way that it's going to be from now on. But we should also notice here in this passage to the theme of grace, because there's this sense that they are all under a sentence of death. But this sense that repentance, this is the essentially the, the upshot of this Watchman passage, that repentance will completely wipe away all the previous record of sin. That, and, that's that's the the promise of grace uh, yeah, implicit here yeah. uh, in this section. So, and then he goes back to the canal, Jabbar Canal, and yep. again uh, he sees the same vision uh, as he'd seen before. He does. And, and again, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. He fell on his face, and again, the spirit yeah, that's lifts right. him up, stands him up, um, and enables him to to hear what seems like a really weird. Next step, you know. It's a weird next step. Okay, so here, get get ready. Uh, You know, verse 24, then the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Mm. He spoke to me and said, go shut yourself inside your house. And you, son of man, they will tie you with ropes and you will Mm. be bound so that you cannot go out among the people. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them for they are rebellious people. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So th- this interesting from a number of different respects, this, uh, this passage, yeah, but I, actually I should read th- that next yeah. bit, which is yeah. important. When, but when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, dot, 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 you know, yep. whatever he, God next. says. Yep. And then it says, whoever will, whoever will listen, let them listen. Whoever will refuse, let them refuse for they are rebellious people. Very similar to Jesus' statement, whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, the interesting thing about this, so first of all, God is constraining him. And there's a sense that God is constraining him because, remember, he's carrying this incredible burden, right? And and he says, now, you're going to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, and you're only going to say what I want. What I want you to say now. This remember, this is still part of his calling. Remember Jeremiah. There was that moment where, what do you see? He, he sort yes. of gave Jeremiah a little practice run. What yep. do you see? Yep, that's right. This is again part of Ezekiel's calling, right? And so he's constraining him by 
uh, making him mute, actually. Mm. And he's only going to, I mean, could, you know, because he's full of the spirit, right? And he would just go nuts yeah, with his exactly. people, right? Okay. <laughs> well, I would. That's yeah. for sure. And yeah. so he's constrained on two parts, you know, because uh, he's these other people, and we don't know what how they came to bind Ezekiel, so he's been bound here. Maybe actually because they didn't like what he was saying. Like maybe there's a sense that they bound him in his house to stop him from disturbing the exiles. I mean, we we don't know, but certainly there was this prompting uh, from God that he would be bound so that he wouldn't go out among the people. Also that he wouldn't make intercession for the people. So I don't want you making intercession as a priest. Um, I'm I'm constraining you in that sense as well. You're only to say exactly what I'm what I'm calling you to say, mm. and um, and is that to, and perhaps also I, I was thinking perhaps also to to eliminate any chance of the emo, of Ezekiel's human emotion, yeah. coming out and it not being what God's actually said, and yeah. God wanting to be really explicit. And, yeah, that's right um, about what is to be said and what isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean the interesting thing, you know, he, he's had this incredible. Uh, encounter with God, and often in you know, like with the Zechariah in the Gospel of Luke, uh, who was the high priest mm. at the time, had this vision, and and then was struck dumb, yes. you know, and his mouth was only open to declare a prophecy, right, about a yeah. messianic prophecy. I mean, we're going to see a little further on that yeah. the elders are going to be sitting yes. with Ezekiel, yeah. in a sense of anticipation, waiting for him to say something. So even his even his muteness, the fact that he becomes mute. Uh, draws some attention, attention here, as right. well as all the other things that. Oh, are and happen, he was a priest that he's going to do. Yeah, and, and I think uh, somewhere here it says that the God actually says they know there's prophet amongst them. Yeah, know? that's so, right. Yeah, know. yeah, very interesting sort of moment. So, mm. so he's not going to go out among the people, but. Um, but they're going to come to him, to him right? Yeah. And and a lot of the stuff that's going to happen, he, he's is going to he's going to do in his house. Now, as we know. Uh, prophets often enacted things physically, and this goes to another level with with Ezekiel. Everything, yeah. everything's dialed up here. I mean, yeah. you know, if, th- these other things that other prophets did with Ezekiel is just so much more the case. And goodness, this is a you know, this is this community of exiles. They're living, you know, they're they're living together, mm. and this would have drawn attention what mm. God asked him to do here because he, he's told to take a block of clay and essentially make a kind of model of Jerusalem and he's going to lay siege to it. Mm. And they're all looking at this. Now, remember, you know, this is... This is this before is, uh, any of this happened. That's right. Yeah. Or, or, at this or stage, even as, as perhaps just starting to happen. But no, but the news isn't hasn't got to him yet. No, that's right. And they're hoping still that God or Egyptians yeah. or someone uh, is going to come and rescue them. So yeah. they're believing still as the exiles, they're still believing yeah. that God's going to restore right. us. And, and here he is depicting what's yeah. actually going to happen. As you say, well before it's happened, or certainly before news has got to happen. Absolutely, that it's and, and he's not going to know about this. He's yeah. not going to know about no. this until the exiles come uh, come back. The yeah. next lot of exiles come back in uh, after five eighty six. So it's it's a remarkable prophecy. And again, mm. these are the sorts of things. Th- these are the reasons why the the these prophetic visions are preserved. Um, this is where you know Ezekiel is. is in a sense, going to be recognized uh, by his people in exile and why this is going to really feed what is really going to become a spiritual revival. In, in So, so in I know exile. at yep. first they're, they're not listening, but actually, you know, this bears some fruit uh, yes. eventually. The, the other thing, so he makes this model and he lays siege to it. And, and so he's depicting the siege, you know, yeah. and it's got to be physical, right? Because God really wants his people to know that he is at work here, that this is God, that this is... 
you know, that let it be not just Ezekiel saying things, but and as you said before, physical form. The prophets did embody the message. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're seeing here. That's right. And then he has Ezekiel. I mean, this is a weird one, Stu. Like, he has him lie, verse 4 of chapter 4, then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. So the northern kingdom? Yeah, the the northern kingdom. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned to you the number of days uh, as the years of their sin. So for... 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. And then he turns over and he has to, for 40 days, mm-hmm. um, he has to bear the sin of Judah, right? So so the, the 390 and, and the 40 is pretty much the exact period of Solomon's temple from the, from the time it was built through right. to the time okay. it's destroyed and, and it's just about to be destroyed. Yeah, well. And so it's all the sin committed from really the time in that where, time. Where God said, I will inhabit the city that's right. in the yeah. temple from that point forward. Yeah, yep, that's right. This is a long time. It is a long He's time. He's lying on his side. For over a year. For over a year. In the first year. instance. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, obviously, he's getting up, he's going to the bathroom, bathroom yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, but this is going to draw attention, and and it does draw attention. that they And also, this is why you wouldn't want to be a prophet. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. One, he has to do this, right, lie on his side. But secondly, he has to eat... In that time, he has to eat a near-starvation diet, right? Yeah. So he's actually experiencing what's happening to the people that's right. back in Judah. Yeah, in that's Jerusalem. right. Yeah. So, and, and probably because of this near-starvation diet, he's probably not going to be able to move much anyway. No. Mm. Man, this, what a calling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he is embodying this message for his people. He's having to almost starve himself. At one point, God even says, and part of this is not only about what the uh, what the um, people back in Jerusalem are, suffer- are going to suffer during the siege, so they're going to have the siege diet is a near starvation That's diet, right. of course. Yep. It's what because they what sieges were about starving the people, people out, out. Yep. which they did eventually. But then to depict the lot of the exiles that the exiles are having to live amongst an unclean people, yes. he's told uh, to bake bread using human excrement. Now, yeah. for Ezekiel, this is just a stretch too far. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think the whole thing is a stretch too far, and he could have complained. But it's interesting. This is where he complains. He says, "No, no, no, no. I have kept myself clean." Remember, he's a priest. That's right. Yeah. And and purity, you know, the purity law surrounding priests for their whole lives. I mean, he's lived this mm. um, cooking with human excrement. It's the far end of uncleanliness. Yeah, that's right. You know, of of ritual uncleanliness. So it's interesting that he says in verse fourteen, "Not so, sovereign Lord." Okay. Interesting. (laughs) This is is God (laughs) speaking to you. Not so, Sovereign Lord. He says, I've never defiled myself. from." Now, you think, you know, okay, this is where you get the lightning bolt. But no, actually, God says, verse 15, very well, he Mm. says, "Uh, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. So... It's a it's a stretch better. I mean, it's still uh, on. Oh, totally. Yeah, still an issue, but uh, but there's a comprom- compromise. And what here. he's allowed to eat per day is the equivalent of eight ounces. Yeah. of food. You know, oh, it's and, crazy. And a tiny amount of water, one sixth of a gallon. Yeah, really, uh, really crazy. Yeah, and and then in verse five, you know, the next uh, prophetic act, chapter five, chapter five. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <that's right>. yep. <laughs> uh, is he shaves his head. I mean, look, he's starving, he's lying on his side, I mean, he's lying down, he's struck mute, you know, his tongue sticking to the roof of his, I mean, this guy is, he is, imbo- this is this Christ-like, you know, embodying the word of word yeah. of God in this Christ-like 
role. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. And then he shaves his head, which is a sign of humiliation above yes. everything else. Head right? and beard. Yep. Head and beard. Totally. Which is like oh, just man. a no-do, particularly as a priest. You know, but, oh, but absolutely. Anyone, really. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, he, he you know, scattered. And again, it's the, this is a symbolism, what is to do with the hairs, mm. you know, that is to burn a third of the hair inside the city in his model, right? Yep. Um, then he's to scatter a third to the wind uh, and then take a few hairs and tuck them away in the folds of your garment. That's the exile. That's the remnant, the remnant that yep. God's going to save. And then even some of them end up in the fire as well. Yeah, that's right. So that's that, that's a very precise depiction, actually, of what is going to happen mm. in the siege. Uh, the survivors of the siege, some even some of those survivors are going to be, as we know, uh, you know, will be killed because even they yeah. uh, rebel, rebel. Yeah, under Gedaliah, right. yep. and you know, the, the exiles and so forth. So interesting, you know. Here, he, God makes the point that all this is happening because you have actually been more. Verse seven: yep. You have been more unruly than the nations around you. Mm. Uh, you've not even conformed, he says there, you've not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. So God is, you know, he's saying, I'm not just angry and venting here. This is, this yeah. is justified yeah. discipline. Yeah, know? that's right. Yeah. There's a, now, at, at this point, and we're racing through this, Stu, but this, it's deep stuff. Oh. I mean, this is, this is where there's so much here, um, and, and this where, for me, you know, even though it was it was heavy going reading through Jeremiah, I just there's this there's this freshness, albeit heavy. I get that, but there's the, there's something new here in in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel yeah. and and one of one of those things is this repeated formula that begins and goes right through the book of Ezekiel, uh, which is in verse thirteen, and you're going to see this repeated now throughout this whole book. Then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. But then in uh, verse, uh, uh, sorry, chapter six, as we move there, so that's a prophecy against Israel, very yes. much in the in yeah. the, you know, that that's this is where you get something a bit like Jeremiah. Yes. Okay. Yep. But littered throughout this, uh, verse seven of chapter six, your people will fall slain among you. Then, and you will know that I, I am, am the Lord. Lord. Yeah. And the the Lord is capitalized there in our English Bibles. Mm. Um, it's it's the consonants YHWH. Now we y- Yahweh yeah. is the word yeah. that, that we use. Um, now the interesting thing, English translations follow uh, a, 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 a Greek translation of in the intertestamental period that was made by the Jewish people. The first translation of the Old Testament was made in the in the third century BC. And they Put the Lord there, Adonai, yep. uh, to because they had scruples around saying the divine name. Right. Yes. So they just they didn't even point it when when later on again they put the vowels in. They didn't put the vowels in because they they didn't want to say or write the divine right. name. Yep. Uh, you know, and English translations to this day preserve that actually out of respect for the Jewish people. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, so, and so I, that's why and I think that's good. Yeah, capitals. that's why that's why even now it's Lord. So, 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 um, yeah. Tr- translators of Bibles they don't. I mean, some versions do. They say Yahweh. Well, I noticed in mine. I mean, I see that pattern, and again, we see that in verse ten. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, but then when we get to the end of uh, verse fourteen. Mine actually, mine actually does use the name Yahweh. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. Okay. Which is interesting. interesting just in this translation. It's Lord, Lord, Lord. Up now, which translation point. is this that? This is the Holman Christian Standard yeah, Bible. Okay, so, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good translation, actually. I, I've got the uh, the NIV, and that, that is consistent. It's, yeah, right. uh, then they will okay. know that I am the Lord. Yeah. 
each each of those times, though, it is Yahweh uh, underneath that. Yeah, um, yeah, of course. So four times there, another couple of times in the next chapter, in yes. chapter seven, uh, again, the prophecies of judgment, uh, the impending judgment uh, continue throughout chapter seven. And, and again, you have this repeated statement at the start and at the end of that, right at the end, the end of chapter seven, then they will know that I, I am, am the Lord. Lord. So yeah. this is... All of these things are going to happen, both the judgment and the uh, and all of the amazing things that God is going to do, with this in mind, that they will know no. that I am the Lord. Yeah. And it just underscores the most important thing is us acknowledging that the Lord is, is God, Lord. you know, that we know And he wants he to reveal himself to us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, in chapter eight, Stu, uh, you know, and we're skipping over uh, some material there, but uh, you know, th- it's familiar material and this elements it, of it's the detail of what happens yep. in the in the yep. in the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, that's right. It is. He, he's describing in in detail what's happening. The fact that they again, would have to resi- resort to cannibalism because yep. um, you know, and the things that were of worth to them, they he, you know talks about the gold and things that they used to value now are just worthless and dirty because they realise their lives are basically. Uh, Done exactly, here. and so all the things that they had put value in and thought were important to them suddenly waste away mm. to nothing, have no value. Yeah, and again, let's just recognise uh, all all of that happened. This is what's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about this, he is describing everything that actually happened in in quite a lot of detail before it happened. Before it happened, exactly, exactly. Now, in the, the next vision, and th- this is one that goes from chapter eight right through to chapter uh, 11, eleven, and we'll yeah. just well, we'll, we'll, we'll go we'll, to chapter eleven. Yeah, that's yeah, we'll, fine. Yeah, yeah. We can so go we can through to that. Yeah. yeah, he has this vision, and it's again, this is this same sort of apocalyptic vision. You know, he's in the spirit. He goes to Jerusalem. So, in, in this, it's a kind of vision. And in this vision, he's taken on this tour through the temple. Yeah, and. There's this kind of hole in the wall, you know, this secret space, and yes. and and he goes in through that hole in the wall, and there's all of this idolatry happening in the temple. This is in the true. temple, right? Exactly. Now, whether you know, I mean, whether that really was whether there were hidden idols in the temple. I mean, that may well well have been the case, or whether this is describing in a sense the hidden sins. Yeah. Um. Uh, it, it it certainly is describing, I guess, what. The Jewish people in back in Jerusalem felt was hidden from the Lord. I mean, one of the things that in the descriptions of the situation that it says is that there's this description of the people back home saying, "Well, God doesn't see; He's abandoned us anyway, so we'll just turn to the local. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just turn to these local gods." So it's this sense that God doesn't see, mm-hmm. and here God is saying, "No, I do see." Uh, and 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 it's interesting that the, the vision that Ezekiel has at the start, and then later on, in fact, he comes back to it again. Yeah. I think here is there's a really strong reference to eyes all around. In, in a sense, he sees, sees everything. everything. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting just the way that this vision is described. He says that he's sitting there with the elders around him. Yeah. Uh, but as he's sitting there, he has this. He goes into some kind of. Uh, I don't know, is it a trance or, or something? And uh, he says that he he sees this figure like that of a man, this angelic figure, and he, he this angelic figure picks him up uh, like by the hair of his head mm. and it says, the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem. 
So, and and that's when he has this uh, this tour through the temple, and he's shown all of the terrible things uh, that, that they're doing. You know, they're uh, all sort, you know, worshiping all sorts of yeah, exactly. all sorts of idols yeah. in the form of all sorts of creatures. They're bowing down to the sun in the east, and so forth. Mm. And then in chapter nine, there's this uh, vision um, that that has. It kind of evokes some of the imagery of the Passover, in a sense. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, because he has these. He sees this vision of six men coming from the direction uh, of the upper gate. And, you know, God calls on these these again uh, angelic figures, perhaps, and he says, "Bring near those who are appointed to execute judgment on that city, each with a weapon in his hand." And he sees this six these six figures step forward and uh, among them though there's, there's a seventh figure who is dressed in linen and and again there's this uh, this priestly yes association with the the, the the linen robe and he has a writing kit uh, in his hand and he goes through this the, the man with the the writing kit and dressed in linen goes through the city and he puts a mark on everyone uh, as it says here, uh, God says to the man with the riding kit, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done uh, in, in this the city. city. Yeah. And so he goes through and he marks uh, all of these people. And then God commands the other six angels to go through and execute judgment, uh, yeah, you know, everyone kill else. everyone. Yeah. But in a se- in this sense, pass over those who have the mark yeah. uh, on their foreheads. Yeah. Again, Book of Revelation sort of works with similar imagery, imagery. You know, the, but that then it, there it's the mark it's of the, the beast. beast. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, interesting. Mm. Lots of interesting uh, yeah, parallels yeah, there. And so yeah, there's this picture of judgment that is passing uh, through the city, but passing over those who. And again, this is this individual uh, emphasis here. Um, you know, Jeremiah the prophet is is, and and Isaiah and these other prophets previous to Ezekiel have focused very much on corporate consequences, but now there's this renewed focus on individuals, right? Yeah. Um, that that when ju- this judgment comes, this corporate judgment comes, mm. individuals who are repentant actually can be saved from this. Yeah, um, and we see that uh, in this uh, in this vision. Stu, ever since I started reading the scriptures. This is one of the saddest moments in the Old Testament for me is Ezekiel chapter 10, yeah. because it is this vision of the glory of the Lord departing, departing from the temple, yeah. right? And, you know, in the, during the time of Solomon, you have this wonderful mm. moment when the glory of the Lord fills, you know, the, temple. It fills the temple, yeah. right? But here uh, we see the glory of the Lord, and it's again in the same, characterized in the same way. God mobile, right? Mm. Now, uh, he's. You know, God is going to be with the exiles, but the tragedy of this is that the Lord, with this great vision of this sort of um, th- chariot throne, uh, the Lord departs from over the threshold of the temple. Yeah. He, he he leaves the temple. Oh, it's just, Absolutely. it's so tragic. It's so sad. And really, after this period, 70 years later, when the exiles re- return to Jerusalem, the next another generation return, and they rebuild the temple. The thing that they're really looking for, is the, the, th- the question the that they yeah. ask, and this is this is this is what the book of Malachi, the last 
book mm-hmm. chronologically of, of all he's the last chronological prophet of, of the biblical prophets and also the last book in our old testament the big issue that he deals with is the question that they're asking right we've built the temple but when is, is the, the glory of the lord yeah, yeah. you know when is the presence of god going to return to mm. his temple and of course he does around 30 uh, ad in, in jesus yes, he, that's he, right. he comes to, to his temple right this is this is the moment he, right here in Ezekiel chapter ten in this amazing vision of Ezekiel, when God departs from the temple, and mm. of course the temple is is completely destroyed. destroyed. And we hear we, he then recounts the vision of the chariot and in yeah. quite some detail again to make sure that yeah. you know it's consistent clearly with with what he saw right at the start at the at yeah. the canal. Except this time there was one slight dif- difference again around the eyes. They all had eyes all around them, basically. Yeah. And again, that's the all knowing, all seeing. Oh, yeah. well, I felt like the sense of all knowing. Yeah, that's right. God. And and the beginning of chapter eleven, you know, he he explains why. He explains again what's going to happen. Again, Stu, with the repeated statement, then you will know that I am the Lord. The interesting thing about here is is that. Because he says uh, earlier that they are going to be an object of horror and that, that actually people are going to recognize in what happened to them that God has been at work here, that, that actually God has judged them for their sins. Yes. So in a sense, God is going to be known, whether it's through judgment or mercy, God is going to be, that's the main thing here, that, yeah. that God is known and recognized as being God. And with oracles of judgment, it's so that you will know who I am. And then later, as we move into oracles of, of hope and restoration, amazing oracles of, yes. of, for the future, it, again, it's going to be, and then you will know, no. you'll yeah. know that I am God. Mm. And so as we move into the, you know, the end of this vision, there's this, again, these promises that we're going to get much more of in the second half of the book. You know, they will return to this land and remove its images. And uh, so he's prophesying the return uh, of the land. Oh, yeah. And he also preempts. The prophecy, wonderful prophecies of the new covenant that we're going to get in chapter 36, because he says in verse 9, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. You see, notice again that this theme of the spirit, right? So the spirit that has come on Ezekiel, that has lifted Ezekiel up, lifted him to his feet, the spirit of God that's at work there, I will put my Holy Spirit in in them. He says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. You know, again, that's that's the goal. And and that's what we see in Revelation chapter 21 uh, is this, this is the state. They will be my people and I will be their God. This is the goal here, right? So all of these judgments are a step towards this purging, This these things that are happening. They are all steps toward this greater goal of restoration, that God would be known in the earth, that God would be recognized as God, and that God will restore a people to himself who would be his people and he would be their God. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thank you.